0: Let's return now to the book of 1st Thessalonians where we have been for the last several weeks. 1st Thessalonians we left off last week in chapter 4. So let's just pick up right there and even though we covered the last or rather the first 8 verses of chapter 4, I want us to read those 8 verses again and then also cover verses 9 through 12. This is continuing in the theme of a life that pleases God. So this is part two of a two-part series or two-part sermon set here where we covered the first part last week. Look with me here at 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Where it reads this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, And to please God, just as you are doing, so that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And now verse nine. properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray and let's pray that we would live lives that please God. Father, as we look at this passage again, we see here a call to this church in Thessalonica to have a life that pleases you. And it was not only written for the original readers of this But I believe these truth is is for us today as well. And if that is not true of us right now, to say, I want to please you, then I pray that you would turn our hearts that that would be the one pursuit of our life, is to live a life that pleases you, that we would enjoy it in the process. And I pray that you would use this passage and other passages today to, to inform us what that looks like, to challenge us in that and ultimately, we would lead a life that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I worked with a young teenager that, as a boy, was what we would probably call a street child. He was a homeless one in a South American country. He had nothing. And one day, a loving man who was generous and compassionate looked upon this boy and says, I want to adopt him. And bring him back to America, where I will provide for him. I will protect him. I will give him clothing and food, a house over his head. I will even give him my name. And so this boy was adopted into this man and his family's home. Now, what would be the appropriate response for this boy that has now been adopted? Would you not agree that it would be gratefulness? and the life that says, I want to please you, the one who has adopted me? Well, the Bible portrays the gospel message in many different metaphors, and one of them is adoption. In the same way that this boy was on the streets of a South American city, you and I have been on the streets of sin, straying from God, helpless and hopeless, and a loving Father has come, our God, And has made a way for us to be adopted into his family through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection three days later. And what would be the appropriate heart response for us towards him? Would it not be gratefulness and a heart to please God? That has been the theme of both last week's message and this week's message as well. Please God for what? So we can get more from him? No. Please God because he is good. Pastor Alistair Bagg this week as I was listening to him shared a nice little illustration that I think supports that idea. He said one day there were some boys that were out and they were up to no good. They were taking rocks and they were chucking them at windows and smashing them. And one of the boys says, I will not participate in this. And all these troublemaking boys says, what's the matter with you? Are you afraid of what your dad will do to you? And he says, no, I'm not afraid of what my dad will do to me. I'm afraid of what this will do to my dad. I'm more concerned about my relationship with my dad. And that's such a priority in my life right now that I want to do anything that would hurt him. So here's what I would like to do this morning in the time that I have with you in this message. I want you to think of this message like a meal, a three-course meal. I'm going to offer a sample platter to you by way of an introduction where we're going to look at what does the Bible say about pleasing God. While that will not be exhaustive, it will give us an idea. Then we'll look at the main course where we'll pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and we'll look at verses 9 through 12. And then we'll round off our meal by offering a dessert, hopefully one that serves as a really fitting application of this message for your life today. And you can walk out today with a clear understanding of what it looks like to please God. So if you're following along in an outline, let's first introduce a life that pleases God by looking at some pleasing principles. What does the Bible say about a life that pleases God? One, only Jesus has completely pleased God. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said of his own life and ministry, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the only one who could ever say that. I always do the things that are pleasing to God. And if you think about Jesus' life, his teaching, and his ministry, what was it that ultimately pleased the Father? Do you remember Isaiah 53, verse 10? That says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God that Jesus would obey to the point of making it possible for you and I to be adopted as sons and daughters by being bruised for our sins, by going to the cross. A second thing here, that if you have been adopted by God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the second thing is God's children seek to please Him. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. The context here is whether I'm in heaven or on earth, the aim of my life is to please God because I've been adopted. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verses 9 and 10. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. When you have been adopted, when you are a son, you are a daughter of God now, God does something to your heart. It says, now, I, I don't want to be about pleasing myself. I want to be about pleasing God. And how do we please? The third little principle here is we please when we obey God. First John 3, verse 22 says, We keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Now, when you have been adopted as a child of God, you see the Ten Commandments differently. At one time, the Ten Commandments were a mirror to you and revealed to you how much sin you had in your life. You might have brought your self-righteousness before God and thought to yourself, I am right. I can be made right with God. Look how good I am. And then you compared your life to the Ten Commandments and you found out, well, what Romans chapter 3 says, it it quieted you and it shut your self-righteous mouth. You had no righteousness to offer at all. You were dependent on someone else to present their righteousness on your behalf, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. But when you have been adopted as a son or a daughter, the Ten Commandments not only serve as a mirror, but also a pathway to pleasing God. You look at these Ten Commandments and you say, God, these are the ways that. I should live that I could have this joy and the fulfillment of what your heart would want of me. So I don't want to have any other gods before me. I don't want to make any other graven image. I just want the Holy Scriptures to, to speak to me about who you are. I want to honor your name. I don't want to take it in vain. I don't want to attach your name to some sort of a pledge. And in order to recalibrate my life once a week, there's a day of rest so that I can have my heart set aside to worship you. And God, of all the relationships that you have given to me, you've said that I'm supposed to honor my father and mother. So I want to do that. And I I don't want to murder. In fact, I want to defend and fight for life and all the relationships that are within my life, I want them to be loving and I want to offer forgiveness to people who have wronged me. I want to be faithful to my wife, to my husband. I want to have a life of purity. I don't want to lie. I want my life to be all about truth. I want to stand and live by this truth. I don't want to covet. I want to be grateful for all the good things that you have given to me. So in a real sense, the Ten Commandments, by the grace of God coursing through our soul and through our veins, are a pathway that we can please God. Let me give you a fourth little principle here. Our hearts are to be pleasing to God. Have you found it to be true that you are capable of obeying, but doing it with the wrong motives? And so the psalm says in Psalm 19, verse 14, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. So one that is pleasing God says, I not only want my actions to be pleasing to you, but my motives and what's going on in my heart, I want that to be pleasing to you as well. And then finally, again, this is all a part of the introduction, this, this, uh, this hors d'oeuvre, or this, this smattering of some truths here that the Bible says about pleasing God. Faith is required to please God. And without faith is it impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him, Hebrews 11.6. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8.8 that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's either by faith and the grace and the Spirit working through our life that we can please Him, but if we are acting in the flesh, the Bible says that it is impossible to to please God, so, so here's this plate that's brought before you by way of an introduction. This is, this is kind of what the Bible says, an overview of pleasing God. And I'm not presenting this to you today, by the way, of saying, you want to please God so that you can have fulfillment and you can have happiness in your life. I, I just want a message today to say, hey, this is what the Bible says we are supposed to do. And, and we're not bringing ourselves into this and saying, I want to get something out of this. Rather, God is good. God has adopted you, and we ought to desire to please Him. So let's now segue into the main course of this message, and let's look at, again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Pleasing God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The first thing we covered last week is a pure life pleases God. We looked at the first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Do you remember that? And we said in verse 3, this is what Paul wrote, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. A life that pleases God takes the gift of physical intimacy and cherishes it, celebrates it, and exercises it within the relationship of marriage between a husband and wife. But we talked about last week that we don't take that outside of that relationship either in our thoughts, either in what we view with our eyes. We don't walk to it with our feet. And we even talked about things like our mind and and what clothes we wear or what's in our home or whom do we live with. We want to have a life that is pure. So a pure life pleases God. And now let's get to the second part, which picks us up in our passage today. A loving life pleases God. Look with me at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. If you want a life that pleases God, what we're seeing in this passage right now is a loving life, the brotherly love, to be able to look at one another in a church family and say, I love them not with just my words, but with actions, a loving life pleases God. And you might say to yourself, and I've said it to myself this week, it sure seems like love is a high priority in the New Testament Church, doesn't it? When I read this, I said, "You know I'm going to take 10 or 15 minutes and I'm going to read through the entire book of First Thessalonians, and let me just mark how many times this idea of love is present. So I saw it in chapter one, verse three. I saw it in chapter 1, verse 4. I saw it in chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 13. And the two places here in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. It's as if Paul is saying to this church, I need to continually keep love in front of you. It's a good reminder, isn't it? We probably have all been to a church before, where when we have walked in, the music started and it was professional quality. The musicians were very skilled. The leader of the music was magnificent. All those that sang accompaniment behind him was just just superb. And then as the service went on, and proceeded, it was airtight. There were no gaps and noise. And then when the preacher got up to preach, it was funny, it was engaging, the applications were fitting, and it was from the Word of God. And you thought, this was a great preacher. You look at the statement of faith of which they support, and it's like, that's orthodox, that's sound. Those beliefs are right where they should be. They They are aligned with Scripture. You can have all those things, but lack love. Where people aren't interested in each other. A people can come in and sit in a chair and, and no one can look them in the eye. No one can ask, how are you doing? Is there any way I can pray for you? Is there a way that we can follow up and have a cup of coffee? We would love to have you over for a meal and, and just find out what, what your life is about and, and how we can be of encouragement to you. And so before us, as we read through 1 Thessalonians, he is saying, if you want a life that pleases God, it is to be a loving life. And what does it say about that? Look with me again at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And we don't need to say this to you because God has said this. To you. Now, exactly what does he mean by that? Could it be from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where God's word says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself? Could it be referring to when Jesus in John 13, verse 34, said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another? Or, or could it be just the example that God has had for the children that he has adopted? You know John 3.16, but do you know 1 John 3.16 that says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So what is love in the church? It is to look at God and his sacrificial love and to say, I, by his grace, and to sacrifice and to serve others within the church family. It was Warren Weersby in his little commentary that provided a helpful illustration. He said that a bird does not need to go to flying classes. It is in a bird's nature to fly. He said that a fish does not need to go to swimming classes. It is within the nature of a fish to swim. And he says that a Christian does not need to go to loving classes because if he has received the new nature of God, and God is love, his new nature would lead him to love other people. So you want to live a life that pleases God, love one another. Look at what it says in verse 10 about that love. For that indeed is what you are doing, listen to this, to all the brethren. How much of the brethren? How many of the brothers and sisters within that church? To all of them. Now listen, Highland Crest, we don't have a big church here, but it's big enough for us to find a circle of friends that we are comfortable with and not to allow our comfort zones to be expanded. And if that is you, then I hope when you're feeling some conviction this morning as you look at the word all, because that love is to be extended to all the people around you. We are not just to get into our own little life stage groups where people are, are our age and are in our life situations. Rather, we are to allow ourselves to be expanded there, to find people who are older, who are younger, that have children, that are widows, that are widowers, that are youth, that are children. And we are to get to know them in order to love them. I'll give you another thought here that we see. We see it here in verse 10. Perhaps you would say to yourself this morning, I'm glad he's speaking on this because I've been doing really good at loving others. In fact, I could check the box. If, if you look at all the ways that I love people within this church, I am sure that I would be in the 90, 95 percentile. But look at the last part of verse 10. We urge you, brothers, to do this more. And more. So there's there's no place here for you to be looking around and comparing yourselves. What he is doing is he is commending the people in that church, as I would commend you that are doing this right now. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the love that you are showing, the sacrifices that you are making. But God's word is saying to you, by his grace, continue to do that more. And more. So no one here today could say, I got this, I have arrived. You want a pure life, great, that pleases God. You want a loving life, that pleases God. And forgive me for offering another family illustration. It's all I have. As a dad, it it, it helps me to look at this passage differently. But there certainly are times as as I'm leading our, our family and I'm anticipating something. We're going on a long road trip. We're about ready to take on a work task. We're about ready to go over to someone's home and I'll pull the boys aside and I'll say, listen, this is what I expect of you. This is what I would like to see of you, okay? And then you know what happens? I'm just telling you, a lot of times that does take place. And I got to catch myself and say to the boys, boys, what you are doing right now pleases me. I I love it when you guys are getting along. I love it when you're doing exactly what your dad has asked you to do. And if I, as a sinful father, can experience that. How much more a loving father, when he has laid out for us very clearly what his expectations are of us. And by his power, by his spirit, we do it. Oh, how much that must please him. Let me give you a third one then, the final one here. As we look at the next part of our passage, it says in verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly. Now, this is a play on words. Maybe your translation would say something like this Be ambitious to have no ambition. Now, what in the world does that mean? To aspire to live quietly. To live quietly, the opposite of that is to be agitated to be excitable, to be restless. I'll use this language of high maintenance. To always be asserting yourself. Instead, living quietly means to be calm, peaceful, content. May I use the word meekness? So it's like this. Be ambitious to be meek. And that's what he is saying here. The next part of verse 10 says, I'm sorry, verse 11, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. If you have been adopted by God as a son or daughter, then as a Christian, you are so preoccupied with God's business that you do not have time to meddle in other people's business. You're not interfering with other people's lives. And you know what the antidote to this is? Hard work. And so the the third element of a life that pleases God is a working life. Look at what it says here in verse 11. And to work with your hands as we instructed you. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is kind of a shoe leather sort of message today, isn't it? You want to live a life that please God? Have a pure life. Have a loving life. And have a working life. Have a life where you are working with your hands. You are exerting all you can as unto the Lord. And it will keep you from all sorts of other temptations of things that you should not be doing. In the Greek culture back then, manual labor was looked down upon. The slaves, the servants should be doing that. But Paul is saying, hey, work with your hands. Paul himself was a tent maker. And as I've thought about this passage, and I've thought about what life has been like over the last 14 months, I'm wondering if this is just speaking to some people here this morning. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you that are in the workforce right now has had a radical change in light of COVID. Maybe there was a time where you you were shut down, but now it's reopened, and it's reopened in mass force. It's like there's more work than there are workers. I'm hearing this all over the place. And then coupled with these overwhelming stimulus packages where people are like, why would I work when I'm getting money sent to me? And for those who are trying to be faithful, those who are trying to live a life that pleases God, you are frustrated, you are overwhelmed. And so God's word says, don't get caught up in the politics. Live a quiet life. Don't don't be meddling in other people's business, but rather... As best you can, as His grace allows, continue to work hard. Why? Look what it says here in verse 12. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Why? So you can provide for yourself, provide for your family, maybe even provide for others. But also your work is your witness. We've been spending the last five weeks or so talking about how to share the gospel at nine o'clock. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all of you that have participated in that. But let us not neglect your work ethic and the way you live that often gives you a platform to, to offer that message to others. I'm grateful for the times that I've been out in our community and maybe I've been at a restaurant and I've seen someone with a work shirt that says, of a place where you work at. I've had this happen multiple times. And I say, hey, you work there? Do you know so-and-so? I go to church with that person. And you know what? Consistently I hear, oh, that's a great person. He, he, she, we're really grateful that they, they are there and they work with us. That is a wonderful testimony to hear but our witness at work provides an opportunity for us to witness with the gospel so so let me just conclude this part by asking you how is that do you, do you live the pure life do you live the loving life do, do you live a, a, a working life and listen I'm, I'm telling you that i'm aware of this that this is difficult I was meditating and studying this one afternoon this week and I pushed away from my desk and walked away from the the scriptures there and it was lunch break so I took my boys, went home, grabbed my boys and we went down to a pool, an indoor pool and we began swimming. And while we were swimming, uh, there was uh, one of the boys that was splashing some water, not over the top, just splashing like any boy would and this adult lifeguard came over. And he, and he warned him with a, with a real serious, stern look on his face and says, You cannot be splashing in here. You might get some people wet. <laughs> and, I, and I'm meditating and I'm thinking while I'm swimming, I'm supposed to be loving people because I want to. I want to have a life that pleases God. And I'm finding this anger welling within me to be able to talk to this guy. And so I'm just saying this. I realize this passage fits really nice on a Sunday morning in the chairs here this morning, but it can be much more difficult to live out when we leave here today. So I want to provide a little dessert for you on your way out. You know that this theme of prayer, this theme of pleasing God, is in another place in the Scriptures. It's actually a prayer that Paul offered. Look with me at Colossians, would you? Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Evidently, Paul was not only concerned about the Thessalonian Christians pleasing God, he was also concerned about the Colossian Christians pleasing God. And so he said, I'm going to pray for you that you would have a life that pleases God. Colossians chapter 1. Read this prayer with me, picking it up in verse 9. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, listen to this, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance, patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So here's the premise of this prayer. We cannot produce this stuff within ourselves. We need God's help. We need, we need prayer. We need people to be praying for us that we can live a life that pleases God. So there are three parts about this prayer at least. The first is this. May God give you the strength to please God. You see it there in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might. To be able to come to a place of saying. God I desire. My my primary objective in life. Is to please you. Grant me the strength. To be able to live this out today. The second part I think we see of this prayer. Is, May God produce fruit in your life. That is pleasing to him. We see that there in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God, I need the Holy Spirit's fruit in my life right now. I need the spiritual fruit of self-control that I might live a pure life. I need the spiritual fruit of love that I can love others. I need the spiritual fruit of patience and faithfulness in my workplace and to be able to love others. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to work in my life right now to produce this. And then finally in this prayer, may God stir gratefulness as we reflect on our internal inheritance. We see it there in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. A part of this pleasing God as an adopted child is to consider where we have been and where we are and to live in this gratitude Oh, loved ones, don't you want this life that pleases God? It's a life that's pure. It's a life that's loving. It's a life that works. And I'll pray for you, and you pray for me, that as a church, we would be known as one that pleases God. Let's pray. Father, as we think of uh, just where we were before you saved us, we were out far from you. Our hearts were trying to please ourselves. We were looking around and, and not wanting to do what you wanted of us. And in your compassion, you reached down to us and you saved us. And now we are your children. And what a privilege that is. Father, I desire to please you. And I believe many of the brothers and sisters in this room do as well. May you do that work in us. May you strengthen us. May you produce this fruit in us. And may we live in thankfulness all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.